Well, we are in the second week of our Lenten journey, and we've set aside a sermon series called Crosswalk, as we are walking with Jesus and the disciples and the followers to Jerusalem, ultimately to the cross and ultimately to an empty tomb. In week one of this Lenten journey, we, we established a path, and we know that this path is going to bring with it the need to trust the need to wait, the need to learn, and yes, the need to repent that we might be washed clean. But today we, we take a different step. I'm reminded of all the Yogi Berra-isms. You know, Yogi always said some crazy things, and one of them was, when you come to the fork in the road, take it, take it. And so we have a choice to make today. Are we going to take up our cross I read something by Paul Shoup this week that I've been reflecting on about this Lenten journey, about these decisions when we come to the fork in the road. The season of Lent is structured as it is to remember the journey of Jesus to the cross, but it is also the perfect time for articulating the call of Jesus to discipleship, the path of discipleship. In these 40 days, we may contemplate not only the wonderful power of the cross of Christ, but also the power inherent in taking up our own crosses, opportunities that are daily before us, forks in the road, if you will, times when we may give our lives sacrificially to acts of love and compassion, acts of justice that lead to peace. In this most holy season, we are wise to ponder not only the cross in our sanctuaries or on the walls of our homes, but the picture of Jesus on the road to Jerusalem, calling all of his disciples to take up the cross and to walk with him in paths of love and of service. And so we've been following the lectionary, and I have two texts for us, and one is actually not in the lectionary this week. It is from Daniel, and Daniel's going to talk about the Son of Man. Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there was before me one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Son of man. That phrase, son of man, is used 282 times in the Bible. And you might be surprised to hear that 196 of those actually are from the Old Testament, 93 in the New Testament. But now Jesus is going to use this phrase in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, 
For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so today I just want to take a look at three things that jump out at me from this text. Every time I read this text, something jumps up. But this time there are three things. The first is this phrase, the Son of Man. What does that title mean to Jesus and what does it mean to us? The second are Jesus' stern words, get behind me, Satan. Jesus already told Peter, you know, he's going to be the rock upon which the church is built. Why would he, he call Peter this name? And finally, and maybe most troubling for us, is that statement, deny yourself. We don't like to deny ourselves anything. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. What does that really look like? So let's begin with this journey, this phrase, the Son of Man. In the Old Testament, people like Daniel would say the Son of Man, and they would, there was this connotation of a heavenly figure who in the end times has authority and power. In the New Testament, especially when Jesus uses it, the name for Jesus, Son of Man, is Jesus' most common title for himself. He refers to himself as the Son of Man more than anything else, according to Scripture. And the name refers to Jesus as the Messiah, Messiah, the representative man, the human agent who is going to be vindicated by God. Friends, the Son of God is also the Son of Man, belonging to all humanity, As we were reminded on Ash Wednesday, and as I was reminded as we had a service of of death and resurrection, a celebration of life in the sanctuary just yesterday, what is ultimately coming for each and every one of us is the end of our mortality. Our mortal flesh will either be laid to rest in a casket or turned to ash and scattered. But because of the Son of Man, we realize, we must realize that death is ultimately a birth. We are born to the earth through the womb of a woman, and we are born into eternity through the love and grace of a man who was, who is, and who will forever be God. As Christians, we believe that God is not just a feeling of power or bliss or harmony, but that God became present to and among human beings in Jesus, the Son of Man, the one who was manifested in Jesus of Nazareth, is more than titles or empty words. The Son of Man is associated with judgment, vindication, and ultimately exaltation. But what about this this other phrase, get behind me, Satan? It's that word Satan that bothers many folks. People get really nervous in church if you start talking about Satan. And you wonder, did Jesus call Peter the devil? What about this word, Satan? 
And we know it comes from Hasatan, from the Hebrew and, and into, the, into Greek. It, it means the adversary, someone who has, is, is adverse to what you're trying to do. And, and Peter was adverse to this plan that Jesus had and laid out quite openly for everyone very, very clearly. And Jesus would have none of that, couldn't stand for that. You see, Jesus taught them something for which they were unprepared. If we think about it, the disciples left their boats, their jobs, and their families to follow Jesus. The pace of their work was hectic and exhausting. But in spite of occasions of opposition and suspicion, they found it exciting. It was like being a part of an entourage for a rock star. Everywhere Jesus went, crowds were coming to him. And and this talk about being rejected and being killed, that wasn't the fate they wanted for their leader. Now we see in this passage that death was no surprise to Jesus. The journey to Jerusalem uh, begins and a journey that will end with a cross. He was clear, he understood what his fate was. And most of us would respond uh, to this kind of pronouncement of suffering and death the way Peter did. I mean, we live in a pain-killer culture. Parenthetically, I, I think it's also interesting to see the way the disciples are portrayed raises the question about the sustainability of a faith solely based on witnessing miracles. Now, our faith is also sustained in that still, small voice, that, those quiet moments. In Lent, just as Jesus commanded Peter, our minds need to be set on divine things, holy things, not merely human things. We need to live the questions and let God provide the answers. Peter did not live the questions. He tried to force feed an answer that he thought was best. Now, if it sounds like I'm beating up on Peter, I'm really not. We can't, we can't blame Peter for being confused. Up to now, Jesus has been engaged in, in some miraculous stuff. Peter watched him feed 5,000 people. Peter saw him walk on the water. Peter saw him heal people who were terminal in their illnesses. He's never spoken about his death like this before. Peter saw shame in the cross, but Jesus saw glory. Peter saw defeat, but Jesus saw great victory. As Richard Rohr has written, Real solidarity needs to be felt and suffered. That's the real meaning of the word suffer. To allow someone else's pain to influence influence us in a real way. We need to move beyond our own personal feelings and take in the whole. Self-improvement has its place, but Jesus promises us something much deeper if we're willing to give ourselves to it. And so yes, we've taking a look at our first two topics, but we really need to come to this, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus said, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. At least one person has said, you know, that may be the most radical, the most important thing that Jesus ever said. It just may be the most important thing that anybody anywhere has ever said. Here he is laying out a path for those who would follow. You know, we'd we'd like to continue living as we currently do, right? 
just happier and more faithfully. And we'd be fine with anything that Jesus would have for us as long as we can stay comfortable. But this call to follow, to take our cross, to deny self, takes us way out of our comfort zones. John Buchanan once wrote, The gospel of Jesus Christ, this Christianity, is not finally about finding a way to make ourselves feel good, or at least better. This is about truth to base your life on, truth about God, about human life, truth about your life and my life. This is about a God who loves so much that the life of a beloved son is given. Well, you know, this is about the amazing and mysterious idea that God holds nothing back in order to show us just how powerfully and profoundly and unconditionally all of us are loved. Loved. And this is about your deepest need and mine. We have this human need to know that love and to live that love and to become our truest and best selves by finding a way for the love of God to give our lives away. Mark's gospel is basically a Good Friday gospel in the sense that the cross is central to understanding Jesus and the true nature of discipleship. The way of the cross is not just for Jesus, but for disciples as well, still for us today. Never be ashamed to be his disciple and to bear your cross, for Jesus did it first. And so we ask ourselves, well, what does it really mean? Take up, deny yourself and take up your cross. What does it really mean? Let me tell you what it absolutely does not mean. It doesn't mean that you go around saying, oh, this is the cross I have to bear, you know, to be this good looking, to be this tall, to be this thin, to have all this money. I know that's not the cross. It also doesn't mean that we hurt ourselves. This is not about self-flagellation. But here's what it is about. Of what, where, or when do you need to deny yourself in order to be more Christ-like? What do you need to let go of? What choices do you need to make? What do you need to deny yourself of in order to be more Christ-like? For those who... uh, And we live in a society that seems to be contrary to God. Freedom from religion, uh, and we know that that conquest and lust for power are contrary to God. But we do know that those who proclaim Jesus as Messiah must be faithful disciples. The gospel won't always match the desires and demands of our culture. And we also know this painful thing to be true. Those who work to bring peace and justice to suffering people are themselves often victims of violence. I think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, brilliant mind, brilliant theologian from Germany. He was in America. He was a professor in New York City when all of a sudden Hitler's Nazi party was starting to to do some terrible things. He heard about it. He saw it. And so he made the decision. It it was not going to be okay for him to stay comfortable in New York City while, while Hitler's uh, army was killing an entire race of people, blood, lust, trying to take over the entire world. And so he went to Germany to be a part of the resistance, to live together in community with God's people, only to be arrested and sent to a concentration camp and killed just days before that camp was liberated. We're coming to the end of Black History Month. And Dr. Martin Luther King saw all the violence that was happening to people of color, and he peacefully resisted that. 
only to be the victim of violence himself. Those are kind of spiritual giants. But friends, I tell you, in our schoolyards and in our workplaces, there are still people who are standing up against violence only to have violence perpetrated against them. And so in every schoolyard and at every workplace, we need cross bearers to stand up for what is pure and just. Fred Craddock, who taught at Candler School of Theology at Emory University, once said, to give my life for Christ appears glorious. To pour myself out for others, to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, I'll do it, I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. But then he teaches. We think giving our all to the Lord is like taking $1,000 and laying it on the table and saying, here, here is my life, Lord, I am giving it all. But the reality for most is that he sends us to the bank and has us cash in that $1,000 for quarters, for quarters. And we go through life putting 25 cents here, 50 cents there. Listen to the neighbor's kids' troubles instead of saying, get lost. Go to a community, uh, committee meeting. Give a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Credit continues, usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents, 50 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. And so I have two questions. They're going to end up being on your screen. I hope you write them down, and I hope you walk with them this week. The first question is this. Recently, how has your relationship with Jesus affected your lifestyle, your relationships, your priorities, or your your politics. But the second one is this. Where does Jesus' way still conflict with your own way? You see, you and I have only one life to live, only one life in which to respond to the most important words ever spoken, the invitation that if any want to become followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Christ For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will indeed find it. And to that I say, Amen.